0: Please, will you turn with me in the word of God to the book of the prophet Isaiah and chapter 58. And that is found on page 747 in our church Bibles. I'm going to read the whole of this 58th chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah bringing the word of the Lord to the people of God in Jerusalem and Judah some 700 years before the birth of Christ. And he speaks. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from, from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places, and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. And then in particular, these last two verses of chapter 58, which are our text for this morning. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly. Then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, how do I want to begin Sunday morning ministry today? At the beginning of a new term, a new year of activity for the church, well, I want to begin by thinking about Sunday itself, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, the Christian Sabbath. And to take as my text for this morning these words in Isaiah 58 and verse 13. Call the Sabbath a delight. Now why do I do this? I do it because if we few here at Grove Chapel who know the Lord if we really and truly call the Sabbath day a delight in the way that the Bible itself intends, then we are promised by God himself that we will enjoy the Lord's richest blessings and also be a means of those rich blessings of the Lord to all those who are around us. And so I want this morning to take as my three points the following. First of all, Sabbath day. Secondly, Sabbath directions. And thirdly, and best of all, Sabbath delight. Let me begin. Sabbath day. And I want to begin with the first and most necessary question. What is the Sabbath? Where does it come from? What's it for? Why does it matter? And we can answer these questions directly from our passage. See what God calls it. He calls this day, My Holy Day. And he speaks of it in this passage in verse 13, as the Holy Day of the Lord. And he calls this day, honorable. How honorable is this day? And the answer is, it could not be any more honorable. It is a day most honorable. How and why? Because the Sabbath has the most honorable, ancient, and noble origins. Where does it come from? It was established by God at the beginning, at the creation, when God himself rested after six days of creating. Six days God worked and made this perfect world. And on the seventh day he rested. And the Sabbath day that God himself established was made for man, made for the human beings, the people that God had created. Before the summer holidays, I was looking for a number of weeks, you remember, at Genesis 1, beginning of Genesis 2, and we talked then about creation ordinances. What does that mean? Those things that God established and set in place when he first created the heavens and the earth. And what are those creation ordinances? They're still with us today, you see, They will be with us for the duration of the earth. What are they? Well, the earth itself is one. Day and night is another. Work that we do six days a week is another. The human race as male and female is another creation ordinance. Marriage and the family, children, are creation ordinance ordinances. And the Sabbath is there with them, established at the beginning of human history and to continue as long as the earth endures. And then the Sabbath receives yet further honor, if you like, in that it is included in those ten commandments given in the time of Moses. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it Holy, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And so it continues. What are these Ten Commandments? Are they some interesting but rather archaic, old-fashioned code that some ancient people cobbled together in some dry, dusty desert three and a half thousand years ago? Is that what they are? Are they old, outdated, outmoded, irrelevant, out of place? No, they are not. They are the declaration of God's unchanging character and his will for the people he has created. And the fourth commandment... To remember the Sabbath day is right up there with the other nine, yeah? With the commandments about not worshipping any other God. Not making an idol and bowing down to it. Not taking the Lord's name in vain. Honouring your father and your mother. Not murdering, not committing adultery, not stealing, not lying, not coveting. Remember this day, says the Lord, this one day in seven, a day of rest, and a day of holy rest, and an honourable day, and a day that is set aside from every other day. And then we can add one more thing, can't we? The Lord Jesus Christ himself honoured this day, didn't he? How? He rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And from that time on, the first day of the week has been kept by God's faithful people as the Lord's Day, the Sunday, the Christian Sabbath. The day of the week might have changed, but the pattern of one day in seven remains. It cannot be changed. It's an ordinance of God. From creation. It can't be changed any more than day and night can be changed. Or than male and female can be changed. Whatever people might say in our desperately godless, wicked, confused society. This Sabbath day God established from the beginning. The Sabbath day. And now I want to think secondly then about Sabbath Directions and to come and look at what was going on with these people in Isaiah's day. Sabbath directions. Well, the Lord, through his prophet Isaiah, is rebuking his people because they are misusing the Sabbath day, they are abusing the Sabbath day. And he says, first of all, to them in verse 13 if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day. And he then adds, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly. Now, where were they going wrong? What was the basic problem? Well, when the Lord says, turn back your foot, the picture that comes to mind is that they were trampling on the Sabbath day. Imagine this scenario. Imagine in your home there is a newly laid carpet. And it's pristine, it's immaculate, it's, it's beautiful. It's top of the range. It's not from some third-hand, fourth-rate warehouse. It's really come from the most upmarket store in the whole of London. And it's in your house, and it's just been laid. And then people come to your house on a muddy, wet, rainy, dirty day, and they don't wipe their feet And they come into your house with their shoes and their boots and they trample all over your carpet. Are you pleased? Are you glad? I don't think you would be. And they've stained it. No, that's only a picture. But that's what these people were doing with God's holy day. And the basic charge against them is that they were seeking and doing their own pleasure on God's day. They were doing their own thing on that day. Let's not misunderstand what's being said. The problem with them was not, as it is largely today, that people just forgot about that day of the week and said it's just like any other day of the week. No, they, they, they marked it. They knew it was the Sabbath. They called it the Sabbath. But they did what they wanted to do on that day. Not what God wanted them to do. It was their own pleasures. Their own ways. It was their own preferences. They were inventing ways that they were going to mark that day according to their own pleasures. Now, let me say something else which must be said. Because this is so often misunderstood by people, especially today. When the passage speaks against your own Pleasure. The passage is not saying, pleasure is wrong. Are you enjoying yourself? Then you are sinning wickedly against the Lord. That's not what it's saying. It is a false and malicious caricature of many Christians, and especially the English Puritans, of the 17th century, who to a large extent gave us culturally what we might call the the classic English Sunday and enriched our understanding of the Christian Sabbath immeasurably. There is a view of these men and women of an earlier generation that they were nothing other than killjoys, that their greatest concern was that somewhere somebody was enjoying themselves. And how dare they enjoy themselves? Now, let me just make this absolutely clear. It is a false, wicked caricature because there has probably never, ever been a happier, more joyful group of men and women in all the world than the Puritans, especially on a Sunday. And I know that in schools... History teachers will say, well, the Puritans were the ones who were very anti-enjoyment. That is absolute rubbish. But let me make this positive point. The great happiness and joy, not only of them, but of every true believer who wants to honor this day of the week, is that their pleasure is in the Lord. And who he is. And what he has done for his people. That's the challenge for us. And this is the burden of the prophet Isaiah. This is what the Lord is saying to his people. He's not against pleasure and enjoyment as such. It's against our own self-centered, man-centered, selfish pleasure and enjoyment. Doing what we want to do on the day that the Lord has given us. Because the Sabbath commandment, like all the commandments, it penetrates to the very core of our attitudes, our motivations, our inclinations. It reminds us that God has saved us for himself. To know and love him, to be devoted to him, to find all our joy and satisfaction and pleasure in our God. Now you may reply and say, yeah, yeah, I know, but I can do that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, can't I? And the answer is, yes, of course you can. And of course we should do that. Every day is a gift from the Lord. He doesn't stop being our God at midnight on Sunday night and then disappear for six days and reappear on Sunday morning. Of course not. But this is the point. The God who made the human race knows how we are constituted and how we work and how we tick. And he says to us, in effect, while you, my people, should come to me every day, read my word, spend time in prayer, call on my name, yet the first day of the week, Sunday, the Lord's Day, the Sabbath Day, That is especially my holy day, says the Lord. And it's the day when you, my people, especially where and when you can, and I know that some of us, for various reasons, cannot always do this, lay down what preoccupies us during the week and come together. Lay down your preferences, your pleasures, your own interests. Come and honor me. Come and be with me. Delight yourselves in me, and you will be blessed as I will be honoured. I want to challenge you this morning, all of you. Do you believe God? Do you trust God? Will you do what the passage of the Lord Himself is asking us and indeed commanding us to do? Let me give a very honest and recent personal testimony. And I'm going to be very candid here, where the rubber really hits the road. Eight weeks ago today, July the 14th, it was the Cricket World Cup final. And England were in it. For the first time they had a chance, well, if they'd won it, it was the first time they would win the Cricket World Cup. Now, many of you know, and my family know in particular, just how... I think obsessed is probably a little too strong, but it can near an obsession at times with the progress of the England cricket team. Sometimes my family will hear me go, yes, and they say, what's so good? And I say, England have taken a wicket. Or they might hear me say, oh, no, what's wrong, what's wrong? England have lost a wicket. Now, that's, that's, that's the way that often my mind works. And it was the World Cup final on a Sunday, That never used to happen in days gone by, that there would be a major sporting event on a Sunday. And I must be honest with you, I was very, very conflicted that day. It's the Lord's Day, but I was thinking a great deal about what's going on in that cricket match there in Lords. I couldn't take my mind off the match during much of the day. But I had to come here in the evening and lead the service and preach God's word as the match was nearing a thrilling climax. What did I do? Well, in the Lord's strength, I went ahead and I preached this passage from 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And I'm saying all of this against myself and to the praise of God. As I preached from that text, I myself was captured, captivated, moved and thrilled by that text, by that theme, by the Lord himself. In the company here, Of God's people on his day. I can genuinely say that for that hour or so, that cricket match went out of my mind completely. It might never have happened. I couldn't care less. It didn't matter. It grew strangely dim. Because the glory of the Lord is far greater than anything that goes on in our lives elsewhere. Whether that be the cricket or the football, or the politics, which can be so engrossing, can't it? Or whatever it is you're into. Your your music, your, your, your clothes, your fashion. What do you like doing? They're all good things, friends. I'm not decrying them. They can all be good things. Enjoy them. Enjoy them if you have time to enjoy them. But don't enjoy them more than you enjoy the Lord, especially on this day. That's the point. What is this day for? It's a day graciously given to us by God. You see, the the subtlety of sin can get into our minds and hearts where we start saying a bit like, serpent in the garden and Eve with her imagination saying, well, you know, the Lord wants to make you really have a very miserable time. So he's told you one day a week to do nothing except put everything down and read your Bibles and go to church. What a, what a restrictive God he is. What a, what a mean God he is. What a, what an imposing God he is. And You should be enjoying everything every day. It's the same. Don't worry about one day in seven being different. That insinuation, that message has wormed its way, snaked its way, I say, into the hearts and minds of generations of Christians across the world in recent years. It's given to us. This day is a gift, not an imposition. And we give ourselves, our lives, our minds, our hearts, our wills to him. This is why I read at the beginning from Exodus 31 verse 13. This is the Lord stretching out his hands in love. This is not the Lord Waving a cane, as it were, over the heads of his pupils. This is the Lord saying, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. And I am saying this morning that this is a perpetual command from the Lord for Old and New Testaments. This is not some ceremonial temporary thing to be ended. Some years later, this continues now. This is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. I call you my own people. I say this is my blood-bought church. These are the people of Jesus Christ. How are they seen? How are they known to be my people? Well, here is one way, not the only way, but one very important way. They keep my Sabbaths. They call this day honorable and holy to the Lord. And so I want to come with all that in mind to my final point Sabbath delight. And come with me again to verse 14, because there the Lord speaks of what will happen when the people follow his directions. Then you shall del- take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And I ask the question, what is this Sabbath delight? What is it to take delight on this day? Is it saying, I worship the day? I call the Sabbath Some kind of object of worship, it's not that. To delight in the Sabbath is to delight in the Lord God himself. It's a day given to us to do that. And to leave anything and everything aside that we do not need to do that would impede us and obstruct us from that enjoyment and that delight. What was wrong with the people of Judah in Isaiah's day? They were observing the Sabbath. Oh, yes, they were. But they were doing it according to their own ideas, their own pleasures, their own inventions. We might say, look at them. They're very religious. They're very pious, we might say. They're fasting. They're humbling themselves. They're spreading out sackcloth. They're covering themselves in ashes. It all looked so impressive to us. But it was counterproductive. It did not glorify God. It did not benefit the people of God. There were people going hungry and naked because they weren't caring for them, because they were too concerned with doing things their own way. It resulted in quarrels and fights and the oppression of the poor. And the point is that when we observe the Lord's day rightly, everything else should fall into place. And it's a day to be concerned for brothers and sisters who are needy. Remember the Lord Jesus himself in uh, is it Luke chapter 13 where the lady walks into the synagogue bent over double by a disabling spirit on the Sabbath day and Jesus would heal her. But the ruler of the synagogue says, oh, no, 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 you can't do that on the, on the Sabbath. That's work. It's strictly forbidden. And the Lord himself in the spirit of this passage says, ought not this, this poor woman, a daughter of Abraham, herself, be freed from this bond of Satan on the Sabbath day. This is a day when bodies and souls are to be freed and refreshed in the presence of God himself. That's what the day is for. We're to hear the word of God and take delight in God himself. We are to do that. Then you shall take delight in the Lord. You see, people down the centuries have tried to ask ask this question, what should we do on Sunday? How should we make this day different? Or how should we spend Sunday? And they often go one of two ways. They say, well, we need to keep all these rules, and they write down all these rules they find in the Bible, then add a few more, lots more human rules about what you can and cannot do, about how much you can carry and uh, what games you can or can't play or what books you can or can't read or whether you can or can't watch television uh, for any reason at all, and they keep these rules and they, they feel awful when they don't keep these rules as well as they should and the day becomes one of moody, gloomy introspection. That's one way. But the other way is to say, well, I can do just what I want. I, I mean, I'll go to church, but I'll, 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 go, I'll go shopping. I'll, I'll, go and see the, I'll go and see the film. I'll go to the match. I'll, uh, I'll just do what I do every other day if I possibly could. It's a day off. It's a day for me. I'll go to church, but I'll, I'll do just what I want to do. And I'm saying to you this morning that neither of these two groups, neither of these two people, are delighting themselves in the Lord in the way that this day is intended for. Delight yourself in the Lord. What is the Sabbath about? It's about seeking God and saying to him, Lord, come and be with your people. Lord, come and bless us. We want to know you. We want to hear from you. We want to see you. We want to rejoice in you. It's about echoing the psalmist in Psalm 84 who says, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Because what is this day? What is this day about? What is this first day of the week really pointing us towards? It is the anticipation of. And it is, I would say, the overlap with. The eternal Sabbath rest. The holy and spiritual rest. That God's people will enjoy forever in the age which is yet to come. Are you a Christian? Are you a child of God? Is your faith and hope and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? If that is so, what are you destined for? Where are you going? What is your eternal future going to be about? I'll tell you the answer. The great business of eternity. will be delighting ourselves together in the Lord our God. Forever and forever. Finding our highest and best joy in him and today and next Sunday and the Sunday after and all the Sundays until the Lord returns are days when eternity invades the present in a special way and we say Lord today come to your people at Grove Chapel and come to your people wherever they meet for worship and fellowship in God's house in the name of Jesus Christ. And this is how we are to understand these wonderful promises of verse 14. Look at verse 14 again. Look at what God says by way of reward and promise to those who take these words to their heart. Then you shall take delight in the Lord. And what? And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What's God saying to us here? He's saying, call each Sunday a delight. Come together and meet with me. Come in the morning and come in the evening. Come and meet with me. Feed on me. Be filled and satisfied with me. And as you do this, I will make Grove Chapel an honoured people, a people to whom I reveal my glory, my love, my power, my salvation. I will do great things in you and through you as you delight in me as your God, as you call this first day of your week my week. Your delight. I've mentioned the Puritans. One of these, George Swinnock, I quote right now at the end. And in the year 1675, when the Sabbath in one sense was already beginning to be turned away from by many, George Swinnock wrote these words in praise of the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day. A Sunday and the language may be archaic but the meaning holds true for God's people in every time and every place this is what George Swinnock wrote hail thou that art highly favored of God thou map of heaven thou golden spot of the week Thou market day of souls, thou daybreak of eternal brightness, thou queen of days, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among days. And then he laments and he says, Oh, how do men and women flutter up and down on the weekdays? like the dove on the waters in the days of Noah and can find no rest for their souls until they come to thee their ark until thou put forth thy hand and take them in. What a beautiful picture that is. Not just for us but for those outside that we long to reach with the gospel fluttering around Bewildered, confused, not knowing what one day from the next means, not knowing what they're here for, what life is about, not knowing what they're here to do, and not knowing God, not knowing Christ, fluttering around day to day. And this man says, this day, this this Lord's Day, is a day when God says to us and to all who would come, come to me, don't flutter around fretfully, Worried, uncertain, not knowing where you can put your feet. Come into the ark. May Grove Chapel be an ark. A place of safety amid the overwhelming flood of of confusion and unbelief and destruction. Misery that is outside. If we, the people of God here at Grove Chapel truly prize this day as what Swinnock calls the golden spot of the week, the market day of souls. If we rightly treasure and cherish this day as what it is, the Lord's day, the day of the risen Jesus Christ appearing to his disciples, where the name of Jesus is preached and urged on people's souls. If we do that, then we can look to the Lord to bless us, to make us ride on the heights of the earth, to feed us with the heritage of Jacob, our father. And our God is faithful. Let us pray together. We bow, O Lord our God, in the presence of your wisdom and power and will this morning. For before any of us, long before our fathers and our forefathers even saw any light of day, O Lord, you had determined to make this day your own. That one in seven rhythm that the world across has found to be so conducive to Healthy life, your creation ordinance, which people disturb at their own peril. O Lord, we thank you for it, but we thank you that for us as your church, this day is not simply a day of rest rest being whatever we choose rest to mean but a day of honorable, holy rest and refreshment in the Lord Himself. We come to you, risen Lord. And we pray you would help us to make this day to be a day when we delight in you together. Oh, Lord God, we claim your promises. We pray that over these coming months and indeed years, you would, by grace, cause your people here to, to ride on the heights of the earth. To know blessings and, and as it were, visions and joys and delights in this place, among one another that we have not known before. And, O Lord, that you would feed us richly with the heritage of our father Jacob, the one to whom there appeared a vision of the Lord standing above that great stairway and the angels of God ascending and descending upon it, that we would have business with heaven, that heaven would come down to earth, that Christ himself would be found in this place, in the hearts and lives of all his people here, with many, many more being brought in, we come to you now and pray that you would hear the cries and prayers of your people here as we ask in the name of our risen Lord Jesus.